Hello again. <laughs> That's a big mic. That's a huge mic. Welcome to the Final Girls podcast, where I continue to embarrass myself in front of my favorite living filmmakers. I'm Anna Bogutska, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. Hope everyone is having a wonderful festive season and continuing our seasonal counter-programming. And to celebrate the release of Tatan in UK cinemas, I'm bringing you an interview with the writer-director of Raw and Tatan, Julia de Courneau herself, who picked up the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival this year, The Palm d'Or, for this visceral, wild ride of a film which just hit UK cinemas. For context, this is the third time I got to interview Julie in the span of a few months. You can pick up the Little White Lies issue dedicated entirely to the film and with a world first original tattoo cover on it too. And you can read my interview with her there. And I also did a BFI Q&A with her a little while ago that hopefully will be up on their YouTube sometime soon because it was 100% one of my all-time favorite Q&As I've ever done. In this chat on the podcast, we talk about female violence, about dance horror, and about the mythological influences on Tatan. Please note that this interview is spoilerific. We talk quite explicitly about the ending of the film towards the end of the conversation. So I do suggest that if you haven't seen Tatan yet and you're wary of spoilers, run, don't walk to the cinema while they're still open to watch it. It really is an electric experience on the big screen. Tatan, which stars newcomers Agathe Housset and French screen legend Vincent Landon, is out in UK cinemas now. We will, of course, be discussing the film in detail, and we've got several fascinating essays on the themes of the film over in the finalgust.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast and the essays, do consider giving us a follow over at the Final Ghost UK on Instagram and Twitter, and maybe leaving us a little review on Apple Podcasts. It makes me real happy to read them. And do let us know what you thought of Tatan. It is a conversation starter, to put it mildly. And with all of that said, please enjoy my conversation with Julia DeCarnell. Again, Julia, I'll promise to ask you different questions. So I really wanted to start on the subject of horror with Alexia, um, because we meet her as this violent and scary serial killer. And I wanted to ask you kind of what, what elements of her did you want to, um, to emphasize? Kind of how did you approach making her terrifying? Uh um, Well, that's the thing is like, I think the reason why uh, she's so, uh, um, yeah, terrifying, I guess, is that I I try not to justify or um, give a cause for her violence. Um, again, I think that I think that most of the time when you have, um, um, let's say, a, a violent or a psychopathic or or um, an erratic um, women um, character, female character in films, um, they, they, they always tend to link this to a cause that is uh, um, that is somehow like revenge or uh, linked to um, childhood or traumas and things like this. And 
it's not that it's not that I have anything against that um, in terms of writing, but as far as I'm concerned, I just tried to um, reverse the idea that women are a designated victim and to show that um, women feel violence too. And they can express violence too. And that violence is something that belongs to humanity, but this is not something that is genderized. And I thought about that because I thought about all the, um, like, for example, just I'm going to give you something. There was this poll mm -hmm. done in um, the Paris uh, subway system, I think, in 2015 or something like that. And they did a poll uh, uh, with um, female um, users of the subway, like regular users. And they asked these women one question, have you ever been uh, assaulted, um, heckled, uh, insulted because of your gender? Um, in the in the the capacity of the of the subway in Paris in your life, and have you been threatened? It was a broad thing. I can't remember exactly the term, but like mm -hmm. basically uh, goes from like heckling to groping to assault to worse, you know. And uh, I know that it's a poll, so they ask this to um, women very different ages, you know, who are very different ages from 18 to, I don't know, and uh, 70. And um, and the answer, the, I mean, the, the, the percentage of people who answered yes to this poll was 100. It was 100%. And when I saw that in the paper, I was shocked. I wasn't surprised, but I was shocked that it was 100. Like, it could have been 98 you know, but it was a hundred. Mm -hmm. And I remember that when I took the subway uh, the next day or that day, I looked in the, in the train and I looked around me and I saw these women sitting, standing, talking, reading, whatever. And I thought, man, it means that they all have been uh, the victim of male violence in the subway at least once in their lives. All of them. All of them. I I got so angry at that. Like I I I got so angry, <laughs> and I thought, what's crazy is that a, a, a person, so a man who's gonna uh, assault a woman in the subway, which obviously happened to me too, because I used the subway very much, and who's gonna assault that person, who's gonna touch uh, that person. It will never mm -hmm. come to his mind that she might retaliate in a very violent way. That could be actually detrimental to his health, you know. And I think it's crazy mm -hmm. because when you compare to us, well, like, for example, we are in a subway corridor alone and a man comes to cross our path. Well, even if that man is a saint, we will have already our keys in our hands and we will be already looking for exit, you know, exits. Just We've already case. written the violent yeah. situation. So you see how yeah. alienating it is to think that 
And this is something that that's, I don't know how to say that, but it's like we are so far, you can say whatever, but if we don't share the public space the same way, then we are so far because we're really just talking about getting out of your house, just stepping one step mm -hmm. outside of the house. So that's, uh, that's something, yeah, that, that, that I, I thought I want, I want a character who just retaliates. I, I, and again, I'm like, I'm not blind to the fact that the reason why we do not retaliate is because we're petrified and because we think that we don't stand a chance because society makes us think that we don't stand this chance. And I, I put myself in this like a hundred percent because we believe we don't stand a chance. So why retaliate? Because you're going to have, he's going to knock you out or whatever. And I, I think that this anger and this, 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 um, Frustration I put in Alexia. Yes, I put in Alexia when mm. when she saying like I don't want to explain anything of her violence. She just like she just can. I just I just wanted to have a character who just can. And that's it. <laughs> it's so surprising when she first retaliates. And especially I think because it's a it's a sort of parasocial relationship that she has yeah. with that guy where he yeah. is a fan. And he expects something. He he feels entitled to something of her, not just her attention, but her body, her affection. Um, can you talk a little bit of maybe, you know, taking into account just how intense and long the promotion for your previous film Raw was? Kind of how do what did you glean about this relationship between an audience and and a performer that you wanted to put into Alexia, especially in that first part when we see her dance and perform? for a mostly male audience. But that's the thing is I think I really tried to, uh, I, I wanted to work on our preconceived ideas. And actually that's something that I really like in other directors' works, like for example, in uh, The Hunt by Winterberg. Oh, he mm -hmm. does this so well. He plays with you, but he plays with himself. I mean, what on the preconceived ideas you can have about someone in a certain situation. And, um, and that's what I tried to do with her, like showing her like um, a dancer, an exotic dancer, um, mm -hmm. in, um, you know, in a car show. I mean, I, I, I think I wanted to kind of somehow uh, tickle this easiness that there is to judge someone in yourself and mm -hmm. I mean both men and women in the in the room I mean I mean the whole audience whoever is in the room I wanted to tickle that but because it's in everyone and I wanted also to um, be uh, um, to make you um, able to get into her shoes as well and to somehow reverse your preconceived ideas you know to 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 change your mind basically just change your mind mm -hmm. you know which is already a lot, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to ask of any person, and it's a lot to ask of one film. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit. We've all, we, every time I've spoken to you, we've kind of danced around the idea of dance and in the film, and it's so important. There's, it's so choreographed, and and personally, I've always been obsessed with this interplay of dance and bodies and horror as well as a genre. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of of dance and choreography in Titan? Um, well, that's the thing. Is that the first thing is that I, I I'm um, I'm crazy about dancing. I 
since I was a kid, I did a lot of dancing, of ballet, did other stuff as well. I go to the, the opera a lot. That's something that for me has always been uh, the um, epitome of, of, the, of, of how body empathy is possible, you know? How you can feel for someone just through your body and through their body. I mean, there is something for me that is so immediate, so instant, that I wanted to reproduce it in my film because knowing that I would not have a very a chatty film, uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 dancing came for me very naturally for my characters to dialogue between them, but also, and maybe more importantly, for my characters to dialogue with you uh, as the audience. And all these dance scenes are never just dance for the sake of dancing, for the sake, sake of dancing. They always, um, somehow like trigger uh, a stake and the next step in the narration, you know. But we don't necessarily need words for that. You, we have dancing for that. And it's not a musical, right? It's not like people start dancing like all of a sudden. It's no. really always in a certain context where dancing would be appropriate. And um, and it always comes as, as well, yeah, as um, one step further in the story. Um, for example, obviously the kosher dancing is like all about reversing your preconceived yep. ideas about my character. But also, for example, mm -hmm. when they're dancing in the pink scene, when I call the pink scene is the one with the firefighter. Um, it's like yeah. it's the first moment where you actually have like a real um, um, feeling of them looking at themselves, at each other, sorry, just for who they are and going through the lies, mm -hmm. beyond the lies that they tell each other. It's like when they're dancing together and they look at each other and they smile, it's really two people, no matter who they are, who are connecting perfectly in joy. And this is really only dance that could bring that to me, you know? And, um, and that's really one step about shedding the lies that they tell each other with this whole fantasy lost something, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so and the same, obviously, at the end, in, in the, when they're in the mosh pit and then she's on the fire truck and all this, there is this thing with uh, her somehow um, becoming complete for the first time, becoming the sum of all her experiences, both as Alexia and Adrienne, and being all that at the same time. Uh, and that puts everyone in awe because it's like sheer freedom somehow, you know? And uh, again, like that's a super important step for my character. And, um, and so it's really, yeah, it was really for me a way to, um, again, to put you in the shoes of, 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 of characters that if you try to explain them with words or they thing with words, you, you wouldn't understand, you know, it would be too messy, it would be too chaotic. And here all of a sudden it's incredibly clear. And and the other thing I kind of wanted to ask you was actually about the 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 other I think of it as a dance sequence the scene where um where Alexia kills everyone in Justine's mm -hmm. house it's it's so choreographed how do you see kind of the choreography of Alexia's violence as well fit into that well the first thing you have to know is that this scene was originally a oneer it was shot as a oneer oh we did everything mm -hmm. in one shot many takes obviously. Mm -hmm but we shot it as a oneer, which represented a huge technical challenge because you've seen everything. It's between two floors of the, of the house. 
and there is like all That's the stunts and all that mm-hmm. and the prosthetics. The prosthetics were added during the shot, you know? And when, when the camera shit. was up, you had my whole team of effects yeah. who was putting blood and prosthetics on the on the guy's on the guy's face. It was it was incredible to shoot. We had a blast. It was very hard, especially for my DP who was like in sweat with his camera going up and down the stairs. But it was really exhilarating. However, unfortunately, the the the, the pace of the Warner was not, um, let's say, um, it was not fast enough to match the the song that I really wanted on it. And it's a song that, mm-hmm. like all of the others, all, all the other songs that I used, was there since the script, and I, I needed that specific song. And so, in editing, we had to cut it. Um, unfor- I mean, unfortunately, but fortunately, we cut it in a way that kind of feels like this choreography still that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which really was a choreography with the whole team. And uh, I think you can still feel it um, pretty much. Um, so this scene, uh, that, that's why it feels like a dance, by the way. That's why I wanted to explain that because mm-hmm. it was a one Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this scene for me is really like, it's a big... Um, for me, it's a big comedy scene, to be honest. I'm always like laughing my ass off yeah. when I watch it. <laughs> I did. I did for sure. And I've I've felt very troubled as well by the fact that it was so funny. Well, it is. You know why it's funny? Because it's the first time of the film that you can actually relate to her, like for real, like not only on her body experience, but you can relate mm-hmm. to her because she's so tired and overwhelmed for the first time when she used to control everything and now she doesn't control anything anymore. And it's very, I think, relieving to be, to see her as a mm. human being completely overwhelmed. and like, Oh, what the fuck am I doing here? And, um, and, uh, and to, and to laugh at her a little bit, because honestly, it's also, it, it breaks a, a barrier, you know, of coldness and all that thing. <laughs> it, it breaks the fear a little yeah. bit for her. Um, and, and, I kind of wanted to ask you as well, because said the the Alexia that we meet at the beginning is extremely different from the Alexia that we see at the end of mm-hmm. the film. And you mentioned kind of this, you know, merging of identities of Alexia, the serial killer, Alexia, the, the half metal uh, person, Alexia, the mother, the reluctant mother. Um, and it feels, you know, very much like very biblical and very mythological and very epic. Can can you talk a little bit about the um, these these big influences on Titan, yeah. the mythology? Yeah, as yeah, well? of course. But for me, the reason why she's so different, if we if we stand on the biblical reference ground, at the end, mm. for me, she's both Mary and Jesus. I mean, she's like she embodies both of them, and throughout the film, she has been both of them. Like she started with. Uh, this um, Jesus with the, you know, the, the, the how do you call the crown? The halo. The halo. The halo? No, the crown, you know, with the... Oh, the crown thorns, of thorns? Yeah. The crown of thorns that yeah. you have. I, I asked um, the prop master to, to create this kind of uh, uh, metallic, you know, um, brace, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah, yeah, brace. And in order for it to look like uh, the, the the crown of thorns, that's why I asked the girl to Adele, who is uh, Alexia Young, to hand, hold her hands mm-hmm. like this up, like she she's bearing the stigmatas, and there is this white light on her that gives the impression of a halo. So all this was ob- obviously extremely uh, <laughs> extremely uh, intentional. And after that, you have the idea of immaculate conception, even though we know that. Um, we know that it comes from the car, but the way the belly like is like burst out 
uh, of her genes like this with no warning or whatever was my way to mm -hmm. um, to kind of uh, give the idea of immaculate conception um, somehow. So from Jesus, she becomes Mary. And then when she's with Vincent, she he says, he's my son, blah, blah, blah. I'm God, he's my son, so mm -hmm. he's Jesus. So she's in like, she's like portrayed as Jesus right away when she gets to the fire station. After that, you have... Um, I, tr I try to recreate the um, um, Michelangelo's um, uh, uh, Pieta. Pieta, thank you, yeah. uh, in the bathroom. So mm -hmm. she becomes Mary again, and so on and so on. So it's I from during the whole film, I make her, make her go from Jesus to Mary to Jesus to Mary again, and at the end, for me, she's she is both. Completely. It's a constant transformation for 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 her especially. Um, but I wanted to to ask you about the choice of wanting to end the film specifically on the birth scene and and the choice of kind of, of showing us, because I, I did wonder for a minute there, you know, is she going to show us the baby, the kind of this, this half metal, half human, new human? Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about wanting to end it on, on that scene in particular and on the shot of the of the child as well? Well, for me, it's a very optimistic ending. I mean, it's really like the whole film is really trying to find the light through the darkness mm -hmm. and it arises little by little through the film. The more we get to intimate with our character, the more light arises. And um, and this is really for me like the, the it's, that's why I put back Jean-Sébastien back. Uh, at the end, which is like for me, really, uh, uh, the, I'm not saying it in a religious way at all, but this represents sacred, you know, the sacred in humanity uh, at the end and the, the all the possibilities for me that humanity can bring us and that we have no idea exists still. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so for me, this the, the fact that uh, that um, that this baby is born with this uh, ex um, endoskeleton made of titanium is incredibly optimistic because it means that this baby is stronger than uh, his mom because she only had the plate here, but he also, he, by the way, it's a she. I don't know why I say he, it's a she. It's a she. Uh, it's not seen in the film, but it's a she mm -hmm. to me. Um, and, uh, and, and she has the spine made of titanium. And, um, and at the same time, what I like is that at the beginning, the plate is seen like an abnormality. You know, it's seen like a dead thing. It seems that, and here the metal is alive. The spine mm -hmm. is moving. The baby is alive. It's crying, and um, and so there, there is this whole um, um, somehow idea that it's a, a new humanity that is more monstrous because it's not only the plate but it's also the spine, but it's stronger and it's born in love because Vincent is ready to accept that baby no matter what, you know, like what is humanity exactly? That's the question. But I think that baby is very human. <laughs> and I, I really love that, um, that ending. It was really profoundly moving. And the whole, the whole film was just a very physical experience. And, and I'm sure that it has been as well for a lot of people. I know we need to wrap up. So um, I just wanted to say thank you again. And it's always been such a pleasure to speak to you about this oh, film. It was very nice. Thank you. Um, and good luck for the release. Thanks. Thank you very much.